Guys, why don't you come on up? Um, I was talking to uh, an ORU student last week or a couple weeks ago who had visited Believer's Church. And, and so I said, well, what would you think? And uh, this is even an illustration. She says, I don't know. I just, I just liked how you guys just aren't trying to be perfect. <laughs> it's like, my wife started laughing pretty loud. But she's like, well, even when they try. <laughs> it's not like we're working at imperfection. It's just happening, you know. <laughs> Didn't mean for that to happen. Um, hold on. Can you open that for me? I can't do two things at once. Um, well, there we go. Thank you. Look at that. <laughs> Hard drinking clan up here. <laughs> so, um, I've invited my friends to come talk with us today because, um, they actually know what we're talking about. Um, this is Mike Eddins, many of you know. How about you guys know Mike Eddins? Yes. The man, the myth, the legend, the spiritual director to most of our staff. Uh, Mike has worked for in different churches over the years. He's got all but, doc, all but dissertation in spiritual formation, but he actually works as an HR guy at an oil company. So um, that's just where Jesus has him right now. And so, but Mike's been buddy of mine for over 20 years you know our kids have grown up together and we've stumbled around trying to follow Jesus together so I consider Mike like my older brother uh guiding me along and then Seth has been part of my journey as well for a long time you heard Seth last week and have heard a few more times in the past so just really good teachers and I think well I was gonna say three generations we're only like five years apart right <laughs> you're only like 68 right I haven't made it to 50 yet. 50, I'm 50 in December of this <laughs> then year. Then I still have you by a little bit. Okay, okay. But what we're going to talk about today is just practical stuff. You know, we've been talking for a number of weeks about, you know, living from desire and asking ourselves the question, what do I really want in life? And, and you know, you can go back to the series to know what we were talking about, that, that there's this relationship between our desires, what we really want, in discipline, in other words, doing what it takes to get what I really want. So, so there's something in our culture that you know we just hope it just automatically happens. Whatever I feel right now should be what I go after, and and I'll get it. And that just doesn't happen. So we know that desire inspires discipline, but it's discipline that nurtures desire. And again, look at Matthew 13: 44 through 46. Jesus tells a story about that very thing. So what we talked about last week is that. If we look at Jesus' life, God himself coming and living in the human person, becoming one of us, Jesus actually lives out the life that we're hungering for, even if we don't actually believe it at the start. Like, I don't know if I like that. Trust me, it's the life you want. But this, we're saying that Jesus' life, that's what we, our desire. But Jesus has a lifestyle that nurtures that desire. So, we can, so, so the way we said it is just simply to have Jesus' life. We must live Jesus' lifestyle. To live out both that desire that inspires discipline and the discipline that nurtures our desire. And so, 
So we kind of summarized, this is what the lifestyle of Jesus is. It's ordering daily life, everyday life, not just worship service life. But just go driving to work tomorrow. I've heard the stat, you probably have too, that more heart attacks happen on Monday morning than any time of the week in America. Think about that for a second. Jesus wants to be present on the Monday morning drive. Ordering daily life around the practice of the spiritual disciplines. In other words, these things we can do to place ourselves in the presence of God. And the Holy Spirit's power, God doing us what we cannot do ourselves. So we talked about two ditches. One ditch was, you know, the matrix where I, I just want God to download everything. There's nothing for me to do. But the other side is the muscle where it's all up to me. And that neither is the way of Jesus' lifestyle. It's ordering daily life around the practice of the spiritual disciplines and the Spirit's power. So what we're going to talk about today then is where do we start? I'm going to let you guys chatter at each other about this. Awesome. Sounds good. Is it on? Oh, yeah, there it is. Thanks for being with us this morning, Mike. That's my pleasure. It's a little different than hanging out in my office at the house, but yeah, this is awesome. <laughs> yeah, well, this, this is just super fun. You know, as Gail mentioned, Mike is one of the people who we have both learned and picked up the most from about how to actually make this a reality. And so that's really what we want to talk about this morning is how do we get started with this thing that we've, we're talking about of ordering daily life around practice of spiritual disciplines and the Holy Spirit's power, where do we begin? And so I just want to set you loose with that question. Where do we start, Mike? It could be dangerous. It could be real dangerous. <laughs> Hit us. Yes. I think that, um, you know, we talk about these, these disciplines, and we're going to kind of get into that a little bit, and because that may be the formal description of this topic of what does it means to, you know, just live with Jesus every day. And the, the way I, I talk about it at my dinner table with the boys growing up is, you know, did you bring Jesus with you today? You know, just for simple, simple language. But, but for me, I remember probably in my early 20s, I was, you know, coming out of a, a good Methodist church, youth group, all that, um, you know, just great community, that kind of a thing, good experience. And it seemed like all I was getting was, um, or, you know, not all I was getting, but all I was hearing, you know, it, you, you, you hear different things than what people are telling you, right? I mean, you guys are in that boat, right? You know, but, you know, as a, uh, as a young man, everything in my head about uh, being a Christian was just don't do this, don't do that. They were just telling me how to live. And when I stumbled upon, you know, Richard Foster and Dallas Willard's writings on, um, on the disciplines, I, I didn't, it didn't hang me up on the idea it was a discipline, and that seems like a hard negative word. It was, I started reading this stuff, and I started realizing, oh, if I will do this, then I'm going to encounter Jesus. <laughs> and I'm like, I like that. I like that idea of being a Christian is somebody that does things 
that gets to encounter the presence of God and get to know him personally. I heard all this talk about what that uh, being a Christian is a, a truly a personal relationship with Jesus and not a religion and, how, and all the do's and the don'ts. And so that, that's how it started for me. And it was just, oh, wow, that, that sounds kind of hard. But if I will do that, if I will read my Bible, then I will encounter the Holy Spirit. If I will go to church, if I will worship, if I will fast, if I will practice silence, solitude, those are the things I can do to be in the presence of God. And I like that idea. So th that's how it started for me. And o over time, you've developed this phrase that you use a lot. It's probably the phrase you've told me more than any other that is kind of your way of summarizing this uh, of where we start, what's the main point, um, and it's keep the main thing the main thing. Why don't you talk to us about what you mean by that? Well, and I love these scriptures that you have up here because it does keep us pointed into what eternal life is, which is an eternal relationship with Jesus. And those of us that know Jesus are experiencing that right now. You realize that? I mean, we, we are in the midst of eternal life, walking with Jesus. And these disciplines that we're going to kind of get into a little bit more um, are the ways, like I said, that we do that now, even in this world that we find ourselves in, other than the, uh, you know, the world after, you know, heaven or, or where we go from there. But, but Jesus being the focus, and that's why... and. I, I know that some people may not understand how we can say Jesus is our vision because we live in a um, high-performance culture that says, well, of course Jesus is your vision, but what are you doing? Well, I think this is my idea, Jesus telling me, keep the main thing the main thing. He is the main thing. And when we get into these the, the specifics on disciplines, we can see that whole churches, denominations, and movements have focused on one discipline, two disciplines, maybe one theological point or two theological points, and just exploded in those areas. And sometimes we have to remind ourselves that it's really all about Jesus. It's not about doing this to get this. And we'll talk more about that as we go. But um, the other thing, too, is as we get into a little more detail on these different disciplines or these different things that we do, we, um, we have to remember that it's because the Holy Spirit is drawing us. It's because Jesus is the main thing. And if we get hung up on, on the ditches, I guess we could say, we, we get hung up in that, we completely lose sight of Jesus being the main thing. Yeah, that's awesome. And I think, you know, one of the things we've been talking, we've been talking about kind of the tension between desire, which is something that we, we all love naturally, the idea of getting in touch with desire. And I'd say we all could say we desire this to know him, to know him the way that Paul knew him and that Jesus is saying we can know him. But then making the jump to finding delight in the idea of discipline itself can be challenging. And so I wondered if you could share a little bit more just on, on what the word discipline, which can be such a hang-up to so many, just unpack that for us, what that right. word has come to mean to you. And, and I, 
I, okay, today's the Super Bowl day, right? We got some people getting ready to watch the Super Bowl. We, we're, we're hung up. We understand this athletic endeavor. Um, and some of us that have, that have practiced that, we realize how much goes into these athletes before they even take the field. And I love the way Foster talks about the discipline. We do these things so that when we truly have to do these things, we can do these things. <laughs> right? I mean, it's crazy to think of. But I know for me, um, I was hanging out with, uh, with Matt Olson the other day, and he was teasing me about, you know, being a wrestler from Vanita, you know. And, and you know, and, and, and I get it. That's, I'm just a hick from this little bitty town, but I did wrestle in high school. And one of the things that I learned at that young age was where the end of myself was. <laughs> and I even have a story. I remember I was a senior in high school, and I was doing the whole uh, wrestling thing, and I had to make weight, so I had to run to lose the weight, to make the weight. And then I remember I made the weight, and I was done, and I was went out to, uh, this was at a, a, a regional tournament, and I went out to watch to see who I was going to have to wrestle next, doing a little scouting, and I was standing there, and then all of a sudden, I found myself on the floor. I had fainted because I had worked myself to the end of myself. And these disciplines allow you to the experience how far can you really go? What can you really do? Can you say no to that? Can you stand up to that person, that scenario? Can you make that decision? How many times have you had in your, in your, your heart's like, you know what? I know the right thing to do is. But the simple fact that you're trying to talk yourself into that it's being the right thing, we know you don't want to do that. You just fill in the blank. The, I know the right thing is, but you're trying to discover in your head, why do I really need to do that? That's going to be very painful. But when you've practiced the disciplines, when, you, when that scenario comes up, you're able to do the right thing. You're able to be free, and that's what Foster says. When you, when, you, when you have practiced the disciplines as led by the Holy Spirit and, and as encouraged by your community to do these things, it prepares you for the day that God calls you to act or not act, to speak or not speak. And you can. And that makes you incredibly powerful in the kingdom of God. And so... Discipline may not be the most fun word. Maybe somebody will write another book and, and it'll be a better marketing tool and they'll use a different word, you know. Um, but, uh, but that's it. Yeah, I, I love this quote that you picked out from Foster, just pointing out that, as we talked about last week, the disciplines are a means of getting in touch with grace, getting in touch with what we don't have in ourselves from the Lord. And I think that is so, so, so helpful. Um, you've identified some really, really helpful uh, kind of warning signs for us to pay attention to also as at the outset that's helpful. It, it's helpful as we jump into this to know some of the things to look out for. And you've identified some of the really, really common mistakes that we can make with the disciplines. And so I 
put them up here. And I was wondering if you could just briefly talk us through some of these don'ts to pay sure, attention sure. to as we get started. You, you know what, Seth? I'm going to go back to the, the means of grace. Is yeah, that yeah. okay? Yeah, Can absolutely. I go back to that? Absolutely. I know that um, just the, the years that I've read Foster, the, the conferences that I've gone and heard him speak, and, and even the times that I've actually been able to have conversation with him. And some of you may remember that we brought Foster here. It's been years ago. But just sitting down with him. And when he uses the word grace, for him, the word grace means the power of the Holy Spirit, the mystery of the Holy Spirit, means forgiveness, it means miracles, it means words of wisdom, words of knowledge. When, when, he, he, when he says grace, he unpacks this whole experience with Jesus kind of concept. And so this is another incredible point about why God draws us to do these things that may seem to be very difficult at the time, one of his disciplines. But he does it, again, to kind of relate to my beginning, if you will. He, he calls us to that because he wants to show us something of himself. See, there's something that in him that he says, I want you to see this. But you're not going to be able to see this until you're able to do this or not do this. You see what I'm saying? And, and we also know, and we're going to get into this more, and I know, Gal, this is just setting up more of what you've got coming you know, for us in the future. We're going to get into more of this, this idea that when we practice these, he will also change us. He will transform us. And, and, and that's where the piercing of the heart thing comes. It, it can be painful, but that's part of that change. And we have to understand that when he wants us to practice the discipline, he wants, us, he, wants to, he wants us to experience him. He wants us to live in constant uh, fellowship with him. And he wants to change us. We know that's the byproduct. We don't do them we're getting into that, to just be changed. But he wants us to do them, to experience him. He wants us to do them so we'll be changed. And because we are being changed, we get to see more of him. Who wants to see more of Jesus, right? I mean, who wants to encounter more of the eternal God? This is part of that process that I know that it's it's such a value for Believer's Church and why Ron and I have been here for all these years. The experiential presence of the Holy Spirit. This is another avenue that we get to participate in, in that. And that's what it means by a means of grace from, yeah, yeah. from Foster. And, and now I think it'd be good to, we can go to these... Yeah, that's uh, great. Talk us through to some these of the potholes to watch out for. Yeah, and, um, and I've, I've already mentioned this first one. These disciplines, they can be worshipped, easily done. I mean, I've read, and, and Seth and Guy and I have, have talked a lot about some of the, uh, the desert fathers and the mystics, and you read them, and for them, contemplation, that's it. That's the only discipline you should practice, you know? If you, uh, you know, may go to some certain churches, and they're going to tell you, Oh, no, it's, it's all in the scriptures. Every, everything has to come from the scriptures. The only way you can truly experience 
experience the presence of God is going to be reading the Word of God. And then some places will say, oh, no, that don't get too much in your head there. It's going to have to be, you know, just hearing Jesus for yourself. And, and we can, can easily fall into this. And that's why I think it's so powerful that we have our small groups that hold each other accountable for this so that we can be challenged to do other disciplines and can experience Jesus in other ways that he's given to us, you know, throughout the history of the church. And what, I'll just interject my own story, you know, of I love routines. Some of you may not, but I love routines. It just makes me feel good, right, to know what I'm going to do the day with, start the day with. And there are routines I've had where I meet God, right? So be a little quiet, read scriptures. But then have you guys ever noticed that sometimes all of a sudden the routine, there's no life in it all of a sudden? See, now, without before I started to understand this, I would say, no, I'm just going to barrel through this. And not that discipline doesn't mean sometimes you do stuff you don't want to, but even if I knew God was trying to talk to me in some other way, there literally been times where I found myself saying, don't bother me, God, I'm trying to pray. Think about that for a second, right? That I've realized as as I've grown, there's been times where Mike's like, dude, you just need to stop reading the Bible. Now, that sounds like heresy, (laughs) doesn't it? But it was because... Every morning at this time, I had to do this because I was not trying to meet Jesus. I was trying to make sure I did all the right things to make my life go the way I hope it goes. Does that make sense? So God really wasn't involved in the whole thing. Make sense? Okay. Yeah, absolutely. And, and that's a perfect example where the main thing's not the main thing. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. It's, and and that, that falls into some of these other, you know, these ditches. And I love to use the example to get people's attention with Moses when God, the people are crying out for water in the desert. And, and Moses is like, all right, God, how am I supposed to give water? They're going to, you know, you let us out into the desert. What are you going to do? So he says, go hit the rock, right? You know, the, the miracle of Moses, Moses taking the staff and hitting the rock and the water comes out. And it's all powerful. Everybody gets to live because they have water. And then the same scenario comes up again. And the people are like, we're thirsty. We're going we're gonna, to uh, we're gonna die here in the desert. And Moses has the grand idea. Oh, Jesus, the last time this happened, you told me to do this. So I'm just going to go do it again. And so he does it again. And then the water comes out. God is still gracious to Moses. But then, you know, in my mind, God pulls Moses aside and says, Hey, next time, would you ask me first? Oh, yeah, by the way, you're not going to get to go into the promised land because you didn't ask me first. That's crazy. But it's the idea of always being in that communion with God. And and there's a price to pay. Well, And what's critical about that story is God did give Moses a way to relate to him. He said, speak to the rock. So, so, for instance, if you're like, oh, they're telling us to stop reading the Bible at Believer's Church. Um, no, it's because God wanted to relate to me through the discipline of service or the discipline of silence or whatever the thing is. In other words, there's, the disciplines are like a language that we would like to be able to 
have fluency across the whole thing. I know we're going to talk more about that yeah. in a minute, but anyway. Yeah, very good. We're just kind of jumping around a little bit, but I think the next one here done in your own strength. I think this one, and that's a good example there of knowing what discipline you're being led into. And I get it. Everybody's going to be on this continuum. And we'll talk about that a little bit as it goes. It's all kind of, you know, blending together. But the bottom line is there should be some kind of Holy Spirit leading. And that might, that Holy Spirit leading might be coming from the leadership of the church. You know, with that prompting of, hey, we're going to do this discipline together for us. It's uh, praying 24-7 you know, with the prayer room, uh, fasting, different things, that leadership, maybe in your small group, or it could just be, you know, your own personal leading to go into that. But you're going to discover that um, you won't be able to participate in it very long. At some point, you will come to the end of yourself, right? From my first story, you, you will not be able to do it. Now, some of you that are incredibly intelligent and incredibly gifted and incredibly talented, you'll be able to do it in your own strength more than the rest of us. Okay. But eventually you will come to the end of yourself. It will happen in life. I've got life on my side for that argument. It will catch up with you at some point, you see. And, and you, it's a nuance but you will be able to tell when you're doing it yourself or when you have the Holy Spirit strengthening you to do it. And I love my first service people. We're just quiet and the mind is just going nuts with all these ideas. And I, and I love that because I know that uh, even though I can't see your faces, I know God's doing good stuff, good stuff in you because they're my people, first service people. So talk to us about this third one, Mike. The disciplines are not to be measured to give identity, purpose, status, or anything else. It doesn't take much. You do a little church history reading, and you realize that the monks of the day, when the church was ruling everything in Europe, the monks of the day were no different than our, uh, our sports heroes of our day. No different. They would go sit on poles and, and people would bring them food and it would be, uh, how long can you sit up there? You know, and everybody would be like, oh, they're the greatest thing ever. Look at these guys. These monks are so amazing, you know, just like we do with our sports heroes. And I'm, no, and, and I'm just as guilty because I love to watch it myself. But um, when, when we do those things for our identity or our purpose or our status, and that list can continue on for any other reason other than the main thing, right? We go back to keep the main thing the main thing. Then we, we've moved away from this practice being a means of grace. We're using it for some other purpose or some other reason. And that's, again, why our small groups are so important because if I start to get out there in, in some crazy way, I've got guile and he will set me straight because we're in small group together and we do life together and it's powerful. And I believe that just the whole series that you've been doing for the last year on identity has brought that to light. And so we can't ever, we can't ever forget that and how powerful that is when our identity is in Christ, not in what we can do for Christ or what we are doing to try to even get like Christ. 
And this last one is possibly one of the most dangerous mistakes we can make and one that most of us might think we don't do. Uh, it's one I, I can say I've learned that I'm guilty of as a recovering control freak, but talk, talk to us <laughs> about what it means to use the disciplines as magic. Yeah, I, I love that word because it is loaded. And, and I stole it from one of my favorite uh, authors and spiritual directors and mystics, uh, Evelyn Underhill, who wrote, she's an English uh, spiritual writer that wrote around 1900. And so you have this whole, oh my gosh, you're reading these people that are called mystics. They're Christian mystics. And you have this whole, oh, this is scary thing. And I can talk with anybody and answer any questions about that. But one of the specific phrases that she says in her writings is, if you do this, practice this discipline, or do this uh, activity so that you will get this, whatever it might be, she calls it, that's magic, and that's not walking with Jesus. That's not being led by the Holy Spirit. That's you. In in my thinking is, uh, if we got any Star Wars people out there, that's like the force. I can, can, how can I use the force to get what I want? And that is one of the most dangerous things we could ever get into, because the Holy Spirit is a most powerful force, but it is not a force for you to wield. The Holy Spirit is a person for you to be in relationship with, to do life with, and for you to draw strength from, and in your obedience to the Holy Spirit, you will see incredible things. And as you are transformed you will see more of what the Holy Spirit is, is up to. And it might seem to be like manipulation from other people's views and how you're living, but you know better. That's so helpful, Mike. So with this foundation that we've laid of, of what we're talking about and some of these potholes identified that we can be aware of that we need to watch out for, let's talk kind of practically about what this path, this journey of starting out with and trying the disciplines and learning how to be led by the Spirit in the process looks like you have kind of identified a little bit of a structure, so to speak, of what the, the progression of getting into a life of discipline looks like that has been really helpful to me, kind of breaking it up into phases or stages, which, you know, as I know you're about to describe are not a, a rigid structure uh, but it's a helpful way of just kind of understanding some of the ways that the Lord tends to work with most of us as we get started in this. And so I'm going to kind of put this, these three things up on the screen that you've described oh, of how, how do we know what to do when? That's really the question we're pressing into. Uh, what, what of the disciplines are mandatory? Which ones are optional? You know, we've mentioned Willard and Foster's work, and they've both put together lists of the disciplines. And they're not even the same, even though they were best friends, which kind of illustrates that, that there is no one complete list of these are all the disciplines. And even last week, we put up a list of just some of the main disciplines that we can see that Jesus practiced and Jesus taught. Uh, but how do we know what, do I, what I need to do when? Which ones do we practice when? I think um, it, it's kind of like the 24-7 prayer said, you know, how, how do you know? 
when to pray. Well, you just do it. You know, you just you just have to to, to get started. But I think um, what I've seen over the years, and and it is for me, it's well, I need to learn about it. You know, I need to study it a little bit. I and and then I need to just try them. You know, at some point you just try all these different disciplines. Uh, you do them in your small group community. You do them as you're led by, you know, uh, pastors of the church. And, and you just, you've, you've got to just uh, give them a shot. And especially the ones that you don't know much about, you need to be challenged to learn about them. And especially those, that, the ones that you haven't done very much, you, you need to just try them. And what I've always told people when they felt led to try a discipline that they've never tried before, and, you know, they say, you know what, Mike, I think God wants me to fast. What do you think about a 40-day fast for me? I'm like, oh, hey, hang on a second now. Hold on, hold on. I know that you're probably excited about trying this, but let's try fasting food lunch. How about we do yeah. that? For, for 40 minute fast. 40 minutes. Let's, <laughs> yeah, let's try, yeah. you know, just, let's just go lunch. Let's just start, you know, and, and let's build, you know, build on that. So there's, there's no, uh, you know, secret, but it is to be challenged and to take the challenge to study, learn about them, um, and then experiment with them, not in a, uh, I'm going to just do this on my own thing, but in a all right, Lord, I kind of think you want me to try this one now. And that's the way I'd even suggest you read uh, Foster's book, Celebration of Discipline. Not necessarily straight through, but pick a chapter that sounds interesting. Read about it and let the Holy Spirit maybe lead you into doing it. And then try it very small. And, and see, the Lord knows that you don't know what's going to happen when you do it. And so you just go into it that way. All right, Lord, I want to try this, and I want to hear what you had to say to me or how you're going to meet me in this. And then we, we go after it like that. I think that's so helpful because it's easy to see a list, even just the small list that we put up last week, and feel like, okay, I, I've got to make sure I'm doing all of those things in every season. You know, okay, I've got to start praying more, fasting, study, all, all these things. But I love the way you talk about just taking a relational and experimental approach of just all right, I'm just going to maybe just pick one at a time and just say, I'm going to press into this for the next week or the next month and just try it out. And then how does it progress from there? As we're starting to, you know, we, we never reach a point where we master the disciplines. No. Um, but as we're trying them out, we're learning them, we're starting to learn a little bit about how the grace of the Lord manifests towards us through some of them. What, what kind of happens from there? How does the, the path develop? Well, and, and I love you said we never master them. You read the desert fathers and the desert mothers, and they've been out there for 30 years practicing all these different disciplines, and they'll tell you, I'm just a beginner. See? And, and you, can, you can actually believe it that way when you're encountering the Holy Spirit afresh and anew because you're seeing more of him because you are in obedience to the discipline he's called you to. And so it is brand new for you, you know, because in that experience that you might be having. But so once, once you get to a place where you are knowing the leading of the Holy Spirit, hearing the voice of God, 
and you get to the place where you're having your quiet time, it, it, gets, it gets dry. It's just not what it used to be. Then it, you're getting to a place where, okay, I need to be open to something different, you know. Um, and, and that's where you, be, you know, you're led by the Holy Spirit and you try, try a different one. And then I would even say at some point it is, it's almost essential for you to even right now, I would, I would ask you, what discipline are you practicing right now? You need to be aware of what you're doing or not doing that's connecting you with Jesus. What is it? You need to be aware of that. And then, and then at some point you grow to a place where you, you truly understand that he's moving you from that discipline to the next discipline. And there's freedom in that. There's not this, oh my gosh, I, I'm not reading my Bible through this year like I did the last 10 years. I, I can't be, you know, being, I can't be doing what I'm supposed to do. But you have to be in a freedom aspect in our relationship with Jesus to try something new so you can experience something new from him. That's so good. So talk to us about where it develops from there. Well, this is where it, it he'll put it on you now. And this is what happens. You, you start practicing these um, specific disciplines, the, the ancient disciplines, the, the popular ones, the ones that, that have been written about and you can study about. And then um, he may have you, uh, and, I've, and I've talked to young parents, maybe you have that first child in the house and you don't have time to go do a quiet time because you're up in the middle of the night and, and your whole life rhythm just gets, it's in shambles. And you're like, I can't connect with Jesus. Well, you find out that that middle of the night feeding or walking the baby or driving in the car or putting the bassinet on the dryer. I've never tried that before. Yeah, right. <laughs> All, you find out that in that moment, Jesus wants to connect with you. Mm-hmm. Or when you're driving the car into work. Jesus may want you to turn off that sports talk radio and listen to hit to the Holy Spirit. You, you start getting into everyday things becoming that discipline for you or that means of grace for you. And then it even progresses to, you know, maybe that relationship that you're in, that family relationship that you're in that's difficult for you or that boss or that job or whatever it might be, where you discover, oh, that's where God's grace is really showing up. And, it, and, and then it, it just morphs into everyday life. You realize that that is my discipline. And it just doesn't look like it's supposed to look, but as long as you know that you're connecting with Jesus and you're touching the mercy and the grace of God, you're, you're doing what you're supposed to do. Be free in that. I actually had an <clears throat> illustration of this last night, you know, and maybe you have the same kind of thing. If you've got something, maybe it's a important meeting at work or a tough conversation. For me, you know, Saturday night, it's just the pastor's, uh, my <laughs> fellow pastor calls it doomsday eve. Um, <laughs> and you can only understand it if you do the job. Um, and yesterday I was like, man, I just want to chill with my wife and watch a movie. And so the, the head games start, right? Mm-hmm. 
what movie would be the right movie to be spiritually appropriate, <laughs> even though I might watch this movie on a Monday night, even though I don't feel good about a Saturday night. You see the, the games I'm playing in my head, right? right? And it was just so easy. The Lord just dropped me and said, God, just don't do anything that ever interrupts our communion with one another. I don't care what you do. Oh, that's good. Right. That's if, if it ever interrupts. See, so you can see as we grow with Jesus, it, we no longer live a life of rules, guessing what pleases God. In fact, Paul says, learn what pleases God in Ephesians. It, we, we get in this ongoing conversation where there's things we know for sure that's not going to please God. But even better, I could have done nothing but fasted and prayed the rest of the night and been out of communion with God because it was about me making myself worthy for the next day where I could taste, oh, Jesus just wants me. He, I, we've been yeah. doing this long enough. Jesus wants me to chill out and not control the world. That's so good. And instead sit with Kelly. We watched some, some Amazing Race, and I read a little bit, and I, but I knew I was with Jesus. And so the familiarity of just whatever you do, just don't do anything that would mess with your connection with Jesus, and you're good. And sometimes that's even benign stuff, right? That Absolutely. You're like something that, well, you, he can do that and doesn't bother him, but I, I can't. Yes, and that becomes very personal. And, it, and, and that's why in kind of this third area, it's, it's powerful, it's personal, it's freedom, and... He's calling us to it. And it's really what Paul talks about in Romans 14 of some other people, you might have a weaker conscience, you know, about this or that, whatever. For them, it was eating food sacrificed to idols. I'm not sure if any of it are struggling over that at the moment. But Paul realized, oh, idols are nothing. I can eat that food. But another brother, it's going to affect his connection with Jesus. So I'm not going to do that with him, even though I know that's not a thing. But where he's at in his journey, I want to make sure I'm not affecting his connection mm -hmm. to Jesus right now. Yeah. And because you've pra practiced fasting, you're free to make that decision. Mm -hmm. Right. And you can do it or not do it. And that's what he's calling us to. That, that's where he's drawing us to eventually. Yeah, I was just thinking, I've been helped by the way that you describe these as kind of a, a progression in life, but also the fact that in a certain sense, these three different things can kind of be happening simultaneously Absolutely. in our lives where we can be, oh, yes. you know, we can be kind of living, you know, in that second space of really primarily being focused on meeting Jesus through the disciplines he's led us to, and yet be part of a group maybe that is just trying out different disciplines together, and we joyfully and freely jump in with more of that experimentation phase but then also still be listening as we're going for the way that Jesus is wanting to meet us through everyday life. And, and again, I think it's important to notice that uh, I, this is just helpful for, for me and maybe people wired like me who think very systematically and then can see that and think, okay, which one of those am I in? You know, but really, it, it's just kind of talking about this life that Jesus is living with us. And even that third one isn't about getting to a place where we don't practice any disciplines anymore, but it's what you're talking about, reaching that place of, just deeper integration where mm -hmm. all of life is maybe not necessarily a discipline, but all of life is an opportunity to meet with Jesus. Absolutely. And I think the, the one, two, three is just the, the academic, you know, right. side it, of It's a helpful way of making it kind of sure. something we can talk through. But Yeah, we'll, be at the point three where, you know, you're experiencing Jesus not in a 
uh, uh, classic discipline, but then God takes you all the way back to one and says, guess what? I want you to try this. Which is never which I think is a helpful way of just what you said. We're always beginners. Is Mm -hmm. the the biblical word is we're always disciples. We're never going to reach a point where we're not students. Absolutely. Yeah, that's why I like to think of the disciplines as a language, because you know, as kids, we just know you know we know this word and that word to try to say. And the more we learn, the the better we can communicate. And eventually, in school, we learn. Oh, that's a subject and that's an object and this is a verb mm-hmm. but when you're speaking languages <laughs> you're not quickly going subject object verb i need to react object i don't have a that's yeah, a daily yeah, import, that's daily modifier <laughs> but sometimes i need some help i need to you know think man sure. you're you don't complete your sentences you know <laughs> um, but eventually you want an unself-conscious mm-hmm. uh connection with jesus yeah. absolutely well, Mike, as we kind of wind this thing down, I just wanted to ask you if there's anything, as you've been praying into this morning and as you've been here with us, if there's anything else that the Lord has put on your heart that is just what, what you feel Jesus wants to say to us or uh, a word that you would like to share with us from your heart about all this. Yeah, there actually is. And, and it had been hitting me for a little while, but it hit me for sure this morning in, in our prayer this morning. And it came from an idea from uh, an author by the name of Phil Anderson. And some of you may remember Phil Anderson. We had him here years ago. And um, he's a spiritual director, spiritual writer, fantastic guy. But, and he was being interviewed on the uh, Renovare podcast. And the Renovare uh, ministry is Richard Foster's ministry, spiritual formation, spiritual direction ministry. And they've got a podcast, and Richard's son is interviewing different people. And those of you that know me, I'm not really into what's going on in the church world or even in the world world. I've kind of, you know, kind of separate myself from that. So I don't, like, go on the podcasts like some of you may do. But this one caught my eye and, and my ear, and I started listening to this. And Phil Anderson was talking about how the word mercy is not being used in our culture very much. And now Phil goes on to describe mercy and how powerful it is when we can give mercy to someone else. We forgive them for them wronging us. And it's just a powerful podcast. But in me, this idea of uh, mercy not being used in our culture, it just, it hit me. And I was like, oh my gosh, this took me back to uh, one of my seminary experiences where uh, we're studying, and I'll use a couple big words here, but some of you will understand what I'm saying. Just with existentialism leading to postmodernism and these, these philosophical movements in long and the short of it was prepping our culture to deconstruct ethics in a way that says you can do anything and it's all right. You ever heard that before in our culture? There's no right or wrong. You can decide what's right or wrong for you. And, And all this just like hit me when I heard Phil say, we don't use the word mercy. And then him describing what, the, what mercy is, mercy is when we realize that we've done something wrong 
And we know that there's nothing we can construct around us to get us out of the consequences of what that wrong is going to be. See? And our culture is desperately trying to reconstruct that scenario of quote-unquote feeling bad when you've done something wrong by saying everything you do can be right. So they don't need mercy. Do you understand what I'm saying here? Our culture is trying to rewrite do's and don'ts so they never have to deal with doing something wrong. So they don't need mercy. So what does that do? And in and, and my thought, that is incredibly burdensome. You just, how can you keep that up? Trying to create this world where you never do anything wrong. It, 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 you can't keep it up. And so this is where the gospel is so powerful because the Holy Spirit comes in like the arrow and says, you're feeling bad about this because that is actually wrong. Don't try to reconstruct your ethics to make you feel better so you don't have to deal with that anymore. Just come to me. And I will grant you mercy. But the only way you get mercy is by the admission of sin or doing wrong. You don't get mercy if you don't admit you've done something wrong. See? The other way is you're just, uh, you're just expecting somebody to forgive you. You're, you're just expecting that God is going to forgive you no matter what. And we've heard that language before. But that's not the gospel. Do you understand what I'm saying, guys? Yeah, yeah I've, I've thought of it sometimes this way. The scripture says, God opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. I thought, well, that's kind of mean, God. But then I've realized the proud don't get grace because they don't believe they need grace. Oh, and there it is. It's the humble that says, I need help and I'm stuck. I can't get out of what I put myself in. <laughs> and, and like me, uh, Matt Olson called it the liability of strength. Yeah. You know, I'm a, I, I can deceive myself. And I'm, I'm good. I'm good. I'll fix this. I'll fix this. I'll fix this. I'll fix this. Until I just completely run out of energy and say, mm-hmm. I need the mercy of God. And so that just, in my mind, it brings it full circle from we keep the main thing the main thing, which is Jesus. How do we stay in right standing with Jesus? We are obedient in his call to the disciplines. And through our humility, we experience his mercy and grace in that. And it just continues. We never leave that cycle of needing the mercy and grace of God. And it comes through us practicing these disciplines. I think yeah, that's so helpful because as we talked about last week, it, 
it's that revelation of our need for mercy and the desire of God to show us mercy that makes the path of spiritual discipline actually an easy yoke because we're not talking about religious striving. As, as we've said over and over, but Guy and I probably say it so much because we need to hear it so much. All of this that we're talking about is about living in that environment, that place where we know our need for mercy and we're becoming increasingly confident that we will be met with mercy by the God of mercy. Yes, That's so good. We're going to close in prayer, so let's stand together. I'm going to ask Mike to pray in a minute, but I, I want to notice... I want to notice what God has been scheming, okay? Because I actually, you probably might be able to tell, I didn't practice with these guys after, beforehand. They just, you know, I just said, I'll just say dumb things while you guys talk. And, and so I didn't know that we we're going to get on this thing with mercy. Notice what Jesus was speaking to us bef- during the worship music. This issue of being worthy. And, and I think it's, it's a very unhelpful temptation that in, in the service of self-esteem or, or, or maybe it's the lie we believe that when we first receive the mercy of God, we, shouldn't, we should grow up enough that we don't need to receive it again. But guys, the only way to live with Jesus is to constantly be receiving his mercy. That's the only way. That is the gospel. We can never get ourselves in a place where we've done this on our own. We're always at his mercy. And that's what it means to be a child and to be trusting. And there's something in us that doesn't like that, right? What do you mean I'm at your mercy, God? I'd like at some point to get independent of you and do this thing and check in with you and you're so proud of how good a job I'm doing. That's not Christian maturity. Christian maturity is a deepening, in deepening sense, my dependence on the mercy of God. So if you're finding you're exhausted trying to follow Jesus, that is not the life he's called us to. He's called us to an easy yoke, a beautiful a beautiful yoke. My yoke is easy. My burden is light because it's one like, oh, well, that's the best I can do without you, Jesus. Not, oh, look how good I did. Aren't you proud of me now? No, it's, oh, what is it you want me to do? There's nothing to accomplish, just only obedience. Nothing to accomplish. Could you actually live that way? There's literally nothing to accomplish, just obedience. Living in the love and mercy of Jesus and then doing whatever he asks. That's literally how the church has exploded from the first day. Peter and John heal a guy in front of the temple. He stands up. They lead 3,000 to Christ. But the key moment was Peter said, oh, did you guys think by our power or godliness this guy got healed? We're as shocked as you are. It's the living God, Jesus, who wants to bestow mercy on us day by day, moment by moment. The love of God and the approval of God through the blood of Jesus Christ over and over again. So we walk around in a moment of wonder like a child, like, Dad, dinner just came. I don't know where it came from, but they just fed me. That's what the parents do, right? So, Mike, will you pray us a close here that we could receive that? Lord, we just thank you that you invite us into doing things and not doing things so that you can reveal yourself to us 
so that we can experience you in the ways that you, in the ways that you want to instruct us, that you want to lead us, that you want to encourage us, that you want to heal us, you want to empower us, Lord. And so, Father, I do pray that that we would be obedient to that leading and that we would taste you and know that you are a father that does forgive so that when we do come to you and we ask you for forgiveness, we can know and trust that you will grant mercy and that you will forgive us. And Lord, I pray that you would just burn that deep inside of our minds and our hearts, Lord, that it would burn, that we need your mercy. The, the scriptures call us to forgive others 70 times 7 every day. How many times do people have to forgive me every day? And how much grace do I need from Jesus every day? Probably more than 70 times 7. So, Lord, touch us even and bring your mercy as we leave here today and as we go out into this world that you've called us to, that we could be amb ambassadors of your mercy because we've tasted it ourselves. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. We love you guys. Isn't it great that Mike came to us today? We want to say thanks for him. Appreciate you. Have a wonderful week. Love you guys.